Well, it's our privilege this morning, as it is every Lord's Day, to study the Word of God together. So <clears throat> I'll ask you to open your Bibles with me to our study of Second Peter. Second Peter chapter 3, we have come to that day in every study that we do in each book where we come to our final study, our final place in which we have reached the end. <clears throat> and the warnings for us as Christians given to us by the Apostle Peter concerning false teachers is both sobering and I trust encouraging. It's encouraging to understand that we as Christians are being protected by the sovereign hand of our Almighty God as He, through the pen of the Apostle Peter, in His sovereign care to give us His Word, informs us ahead of time about the nature and character of false teachers that will, in fact, have infiltrated the church. It's as if we are reading the enemy's plan of attack. It's as if we have been engaged in warfare and the battles are about to happen and here we are receiving the plan of how the attack is going to go against the foundation of the gospel. It's encouraging for us to know this before, so that as soldiers in the army of God, we are not taken captive by deception. And so that is very encouraging, but it is also sobering. It's as sobering as we are told about the judgment to come upon those who appear as if they are real believers. They appear as if they are true teachers of truth, and yet they are not. They are false. They are wolves in sheep's clothing. It is sobering for us to see the cunning and the subtlety of their deception and how easy it is for the unsuspecting Christian to be drawn away into error. It's rather surprising, frankly, to realize that some true believers are actually duped by the lies. It's almost as shocking as we hear the words in Revelation during the tribulation when the Antichrist is falsely doing the bidding of all on the earth and many are deceived, almost as if he could deceive even the elect. It's surprising to see that some who are actual believers are actually duped by the lies of false teachers when we see that so much of what they do and say actually denies and doubts the validity of God's Word. It's surprising that anyone who claims to know Jesus Christ by faith would follow any false teacher if they would simply just open the Scriptures and read them and understand them even at face value as God speaks. Because to call into question the Word of God in the, even the most subtlest of ways to doubt God's Word, what it means by what it says, is tantamount to calling into question the very existence of God Himself. 
fact, it is, as we will see in our next study in the book of Jude, it is the essence of blasphemy. And yet this is the foundation of all false teaching. The discounting of God. The devaluing of the Word of God. The devaluing of God Himself. To begin to redefine the historicity of the Old Testament and to claim that any part of it is just myth. To call into question the very promises of God Himself to change what the Old Testament actually means for other meanings simply because it does not match one's own view and experience of life is to discount God. To look at the outworking of human history and thereby come to the conclusion and intimate that what God has said is not true because after all, you have not seen it happen, is to discount God. And yet, that is at the very heart of every false teacher. And that is blasphemy in the face of a holy God. And only the severest consequences await for those who propagate that kind of lie. But the true Christian is not to be duped by the lies. We are given the defense plan ahead of time. In fact, we are equipped by the Holy Spirit to recognize what is false as we submit ourselves, as we submit our very lives in every way and our hearts to the Word of God. And here in Second Peter, we have been clearly reminded of the character and nature of false teachers. So that the only way for us to be duped is to actually just ignore what has been said and just to go our own way. The only way to be duped is to take what we have heard over the last several months and just push it aside, to just relegate it to the trash heap, to put it in a place where it just simply collects dust and becomes one of the trophies that we have on the shelf, but never really put into practice in our lives. That is a sobering thought considering what is to come upon those who reject the Lord. We know that the day is coming when all that we know now will forever change. The world in which we live, the life in which we have here will be forever changed. There is coming a day when Jesus Christ Himself will in fact come, and He will come not as Savior, He will come as Judge. He will come as the executioner, if you will. There is coming a day when this earth will be destroyed by fire, both the day of the Lord and the day of God are rapidly approaching in spite of the slow pace in our chronological time frame. Because with God, a thousand years is as a day, and days as a thousand years. In other words, God is outside of time. God is not bound by time. 
God does not have to operate according to the time that He created, and therefore what He has decreed is as good as accomplished from the moment He decreed it, even if we never see or experience it. Therefore we are exhorted here in the final verses of 2 Peter chapter 3 as to what kind of people we are to be. So I would ask you to follow along with me as I read from verse 11. Peter says, Since all things, these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought we to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, on account of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found in him, by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord to be salvation. Just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which we, there are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and the unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the Scriptures, to their own destruction. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on guard, lest being carried away by the error of unprincipled men, you fall away from your own steadfastness. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. I trust we remember that Peter is not asking a question in verse 11. He is rather making a statement. In other words, he is saying, since we know these things beforehand, since we have been informed about these things, and since we know Jesus Christ by faith, and since we are diligent to be walking in that faith, then what ought our holy conduct and godliness result in? What ought our walk of faith look like? That is simply to say that holy conduct and godliness ought to be reflected in our whole life every day. There is a reality of holiness and godliness that ought to be reflected in the life of every true Christian. Simply because you know what is to come. Therefore, what should that practice look like in our life every day? Well, Peter shows us in verses 14 through 18. He shows us in verses 14 through 18. And so Peter begins this final section by saying to us that not only should we be characterized by anticipation of the coming of Christ, we saw that back in verse 12, not only should be we be living with this constant reality and anticipation of the fact that Jesus Christ is coming, but that anticipation should be reflected in us as a diligent effort to be found by Christ when He comes first in a peaceful condition. We talked about this last time. 
Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, right? Since you have this looking and hastening of the coming of the day of God, this day when God will judge everything or when God will set all things new because judgment has happened under the day of the Lord, because you know all of that, because it's based upon the very character and nature of God, it is according to His promise. Since all of these things you know, then be diligent to be found, in, found by Him in peace. Since you look for these things, since you look for the day of God, since you look for the day of eternity, the day when the new heavens and new earth are to be brought to you, the day when the eternal state and all that we have been waiting for in the presence of God forever happens, since we are looking for those things, we should be diligent. We should be making every effort. That's what diligent means. Put all your energy into this. Don't just sit back on your laurels like the Thessalonian believers did, and Paul had to write to them and say, listen, if you don't work, you're not going to eat. Listen, don't just sit back waiting for the day of God to come and expect everybody else to care for you. Listen, you need to be busy about doing what life is requiring of you to do. God has given us that opportunity, but you still look for the day of the Lord. You still anticipate it, so make every effort in that anticipation to be diligent, to be found by Him in peace. So since we are anticipating all of this, it should be that when Christ comes, that He reveal the reality in our lives of having been diligent to live in a condition of peacefulness, settledness. Where does that settledness come from? A steadfast faith. A faith that remains. A faith that isn't duped by the charlatans of the day who say, listen, where's the coming of Christ? A walk of faith that produces that kind of faith, that kind of peace is a walk of faith that helps keep us free from anxiety and fear. It's that walk of faith that Jesus was describing in the Sermon on the Mount when He talked about worry. And don't worry about what you will eat or what you will drink or what you will wear, but trust the Heavenly Father. For He clothes the lilies of the field more than you. And aren't you worth more than even a sparrow? It's the kind of peace that is free from worry about the future. I understand the battle. We all understand the battle because the battle's there. The flesh wants to worry about the future. The flesh cares about the temporal needs of this earth in ways that we should not care about them. And so we must fight that by how? By faith. By walking in faith. And so this is a kind of peace that has no fear regarding the day of the Lord. And when it comes... No fear of the judgment of Christ because it's a secure faith. It's the kind of peace that is not immobilized by world conditions. The kind of faith that is not stuck in one place, immobilized in its heart because of whatever is happening outside of us. Simply because you and I, as Christians, experientially know the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. 
Its comprehension cannot be cannot be rescued, cannot be grabbed by those who do not know Christ. You're in a state of settledness while everything else seems to be chaotic around you. Why? Because you walk by faith. How is it possible? How is it possible to live in that kind of peace when everything in the world seems to be crashing in around us? How is it possible to, to have our lives exude that kind of settled countenance when we're being attacked by others? When the world around us doesn't even want us to be together? How is it possible to have that kind of peace when so much of what we are experiencing is challenging our emotions to react in the opposite way? Notice what Peter says. Peter says, Beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. Peter says, you know how it is? By cleansing. Cleansing. Spotless and blameless. Don't get confused here. Don't, don't, don't hear something that's not there. Peter is not saying you'll be at peace as you anticipate the coming of Christ when you are perfect in practice. He's not saying that. He's not saying you'll be at that settled countenance in your heart and mind regardless of what's happening when you walk perfectly in the things that God has called you to walk in. That's not what he's saying. He cannot be saying that because that would be a practical impossibility for any of us. That was a practical impossibility for Peter. We are not yet immortal. None of us have yet been glorified in time. And therefore, we still allow sin to trip us up. But here's the reality. We have been equipped to be daily clean. In other words, we can do what is right and we can do what is righteous before the Lord as we submit by faith to His Word. That's what Peter's talking about. In fact, in the context of 2 Peter, Peter says, don't be like the false teachers. The false teachers are stained and full of blemishes. Remember that? Verse 13 of chapter 2. Well, I'll read from verse 12. These, that is the false teachers, they're like unreasoning animals born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed. They're reviling where they have no knowledge will in destruction of those creatures also be destroyed. They're suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong. There's reaping and sowing. They count it a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes. Peter says, don't be like them. Don't be like the false teachers. Don't carry your life like the false teachers. Why? Because you know Christ. Because you have Christ. Because you are equipped by God for all of life and godliness by the power of God because you've been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son. You can walk by faith and therefore you can be at peace. Don't be like the false teachers. They have no capacity to be blameless. 
They deny God. They walk by self, not by faith. That's not you. You believe God. You already know what is to come. You know it's true. It's based upon the promises of God. You are equipped by the Holy Spirit to walk by faith, equipped to obey the Word of God. You can do the right things. So in your holy conduct and godliness, Peter says, be spotless and blameless. In other words, in your character, be spotless. And you will be actually blameless in your reputation. When your character is spotless, your reputation is blameless. Oh, sure, others will bring accusation. Others will bring accusation against you, just like they did against Jesus Christ. You will not be greater than your teacher. You will be like your teacher, but it was unverifiable. They brought accusation against Jesus, but it was unprovable. It could never rightfully stick to Him. In fact, Paul uses that very standard or God gives us that standard through the Apostle Paul is the very same character for elders in the church. Uh, you read, open up 1 Timothy here, 3 or Titus chapter 1, and the first character is blameless. There's not a man who reads that passage and says to himself, how in the world? There's no way that could ever be possible. That seems like perfection, and yet that is not what the Apostle Paul is talking about. It doesn't mean they're perfect. It doesn't mean that they're without mistake. It simply means that there should be no place where a verifiable, disqualifying charge can be made against their character. That's what it means. No place in their life, as you survey their life since they've been a Christian, where there's any kind of verifiable, disqualifying reality charge against their very character. Notice here, then, in 2 Peter 3, that principle for leaders in the church is actually the principle for every Christian. You notice that? Be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless. That's the character for us all. Every Christian is to be blameless. Every Christian is to be spotless. Their character is to be clean. Why? Why? Because we know Christ is returning. We're to have a spotless, blameless character because we know Christ is coming back. Since you look for these things, be diligent to be found in Him in this way. It's not simply so that others might see us that way. It's not simply so that we would go around and people could pat us on the back and we would receive some kind of human award that says, what a great person you are. No, it's simply because we know Christ is coming. And so the primary reason is because we desire God to find us that way. We want God to see us righteous. Why? Because it reflects and honors Him. It reflects and honors His character. Because to live in that way is to live by faith. 
live in that way is to be steadfast in faith. To trust Him in every way that He has commanded us, exhorted us, encouraged us to trust Him. But what do we know so far then? What do we know so far in in this last section? We know that anticipating the coming of our Lord should motivate us to live in holy conduct and godliness. Just knowing that Christ comes, that ought to be a motivation for us in those ways. And then that holy conduct and godliness ought to produce in us a peace that surpasses anyone's understanding. That our lives ought to be striving for diligent, or in this diligence, it ought to be diligent to strive for spotlessness and blamelessness. And also, thirdly, it ought to reflect in a right understanding of the times. It ought to reflect in a right understanding of the times. Notice how he brings this out in verses 15 and 16. He says, and regard the patience of our Lord to be salvation. Just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all of his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and the unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. Peter's simply saying, understand the times. Understand the times. Regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. In other words, see the times in which we live in the right way. Have the right perspective on the times we live in. The Lord is delaying in order that He might save What is from our perspective a delay in the grand scheme of God's plan of redemption in the mind of God is not a delay at all because as we know, a thousand years is as one day, one day is as a thousand years. God is not bound by time. And yet in our time element in which God has created us and placed us in, it seems as if there is a delay and yet we need to regard it as patience on God's behalf simply because God saving people. Tells us something about the nature and character of God, doesn't it? In fact, notice the contrast a few verses back. Apparently, some were saying, uh, you know, I'm not sure if he's coming. You say he's coming. We've heard that. We've constantly heard it over and over and over again. I'm not sure he's coming. After all, just look at how long it's been since he left. Notice verse 9. The Lord is not slow about his promise as some count slowness. You see, there were some, there were some trying to stir up the dust of doubt in the hearts and minds of the unsuspecting or those who were not really paying attention to look at the times and, and to, to not see them rightly. In fact, to place doubt upon the very nature and heart of God himself 
because there seemingly was a delay in time to the coming of Christ. But Peter says, listen, don't count slowness by worldly concepts of time. Don't do that. You do that, you're going to trip yourself up. Why? Because the Lord isn't slow, as some count it. The Lord isn't bound by our clock. He isn't bound by our chronology. He isn't bound by time. Some people might think that God has forgotten to come, but that isn't the case. In fact, the apparent delay, and it's only an apparent delay from our perspective as we look at time, the apparent delay is because God is calling others to repentance. What a grace of God. What a grace of God. In other words, this is God's patience on display. That's why Peter said in verse 8, So don't let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, a thousand years is one day. You see, it's the same exhortation that he's saying here in verses, verse 15. Listen, don't let that escape your notice. When you look at time today, when you look at what appears to be a delay of God, when someone brings up the foolish argument that God isn't coming because after all, Christ left the earth over 2,000 years ago, what a foolish myth it is to say that Christ is coming. Don't be duped by that. You walk by faith. You trust the promises of God. God said what He said, and God will do exactly what He said, regardless of what I think timing ought to be. In fact, regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. So why are you rejecting? You see, that's how to turn that argument around. Don't see this as a denial of God's promise. Rather, see it as God's patience. Instead of seeing this as a delay, see it as salvation. And you notice what Peter is implying here? He is implying the same truth that Paul said to the Corinthian believers in 2 Corinthians. Go, go there for a moment, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So just as Paul wrote, that's what he says. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Really? Paul wrote about this? Yes. Notice what Paul says, beginning in verse 1. For we know, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, for we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, now he's speaking about death there, right? For we know that if, if this earthly temporal body that we have is gone, we, we have a building from God. We have a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. We have a glorified body that just waiting to match up. For indeed, in this house, we, are, we groan, right? Here on this earth, we, we groan because the vestiges of sin are all there. We long to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, shall not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened because we do not want to be unclothed. But to be clothed, we, we, we want to be in, in our glorified bodies in order that the mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage, and now knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by what? Faith. 
We walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be present at home with the Lord. Therefore, also, we have as our ambition. See, since we know these things, since we're of good courage, since we walk by faith, then we have as our ambition, what? We have as our ambition, whether we're at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. That's that's the same words that Peter is using when he says to be found by Him at peace, spotless and blameless. We're pleasing to Him. Why? Because we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's not not the great white throne judgment. That, That sin judgment has been taken care of on the cross in Christ. If we believe in Christ, we are enveloped in the in the sacrifice of Christ. This is the reward judgment. This is where rewards are recompensed. This is where the foolish things we've done in this earth, the hay, the wood, hay, and stubble will be burned up, and what's left is the reward. We're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Why? That each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body. That's in the body of Christ. Christians. What we've done, how we've lived, how we've carried out the giftedness God has given us, how we've interacted in the body of Christ and and worked for the Lord Jesus Christ and His glory in the gospel. The deeds in the body according to what we have done, whether good or bad. And so Paul says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, verse 11, we persuade men. That's what Peter is saying in 2 Peter chapter 3. Saying, listen, the Apostle Paul spoke the same thing. Our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, he wrote to you. As he wrote in all of his letters, listen, you can scour the 13 letters of the New Testament that the Apostle Paul was, has penned. And all of them speak to the same realities. And in all these letters, in speaking of these things, some which are hard to understand, we can admit that. There are things that cause our brain to be twisted, cause our brain to think and to to struggle with it. I mean, we had several weeks in our evening study on the doctrine of the atonement and our brains were, were stretched. Our brains were challenged. Some things are hard to understand. And it's these very things which the untaught and the unstable distort. Just the way they do with the rest of the Scriptures. But Peter's saying, when I anticipate the day of the Lord, when I anticipate the day of God and being a true believer, that day is going to be a day of glory for me. It's going to be a day of glory for every Christian. So when I look forward to it, when I anticipate it, which implies that my mind is occupied with its reality, with my my faith is walking by that faith in the promise of God that it is coming. When I'm doing that, I'm also thinking of the day of judgment for others. And therefore, that causes me to think about salvation. And that motivates me, like Paul said to the Corinthians, to persuade men. to talk with them about what's coming. When they say, oh, listen, the promise of God, it's been so long, He's really not coming. We can say, listen, don't talk about 
the promise of God in that way. You need to see the promise of God is simply His patience to save. Why are you rejecting Jesus Christ? Stop rejecting. Stop doubting. That's only a, a reflection of your sinful heart. You see, beloved, I become less concerned about this life and more concerned about the spiritual life of not just myself, but also of others. When I reflect upon the coming of Jesus Christ, and when I do that, I, I begin to persuade others. I talk to others about Christ. You see, so the true Christian isn't just somebody who sits back and waits. They're not just somebody who sits back and goes, well, I don't know enough. No, they're busy about telling others about Christ regardless of what they know and that their salvation is in Him alone. Why? Because they see the purpose of God's patience. They understand the time. They understand that God's patience is in fact salvation. That if God came at the very moment that those people were rejecting, they would be absorbed in an internal hell. So Paul says this, or Peter says, this is the exact same message that Paul spoke in the New Testament. God carried him along, just as he carried me along, just as he carried along all those who wrote the Scriptures. By the way, do you notice that Peter acknowledges that what Peter said was Scripture, or what Paul said was Scripture? Some people doubt that. Well, the New Testament writers, they didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know the Scriptures were there. They didn't know we were going to call the Scriptures. I mean, the Scriptures were identified by the historical church, and they were identified as Scripture by that. Really? Here's what Peter says. Peter says what Paul wrote was Scriptures. This is also our beloved brother Paul. And then Peter launches off into this grand discussion about Paul and Paul's warning about false teachers. Warning about those who come and blaspheme the very promises of God. You need to be on guard so you don't fall from your own steadfastness. You see that? Be on guard so you don't fall from your own steadfastness. That's what happens. So what is that going to take us take for us to see the things as we ought? What's it going to take for us to see it that way? Thoughtful observation of the times. That's what it's going to take. Thoughtful observations of the times in which we live as we walk by faith. Walk by faith. Trust God. In other words, as we live in anticipation of the coming of the day of God, we have got to realize that there is going to be those who come along and try to confuse us about that reality. In fact, Jude says they've already crept into the church. Those who are confused about the reality of the coming of Christ, and we've got to engage in thoughtful observation of what the Bible says and what it means by what it says, so that we are not taken captive by those subtle lies. We have to walk by faith, faith in God's Word, not faith in our experience. 
That seems to be the mantra of the day. If you've experienced it, it must be true. That my experience defines life and therefore I take the Scriptures and I modify them to my experience and whatever my experience is overrides the Bible. And so if I can fit a verse into my life and it fits my life, then that must be right rather than the other way around. This is what the Bible says. Let me take my experience and see if the Bible explains it that way. Peter says, listen, Paul warned about this in his letters and I'm warning you about the same thing. Sometimes we turn to the book of 2 Peter and we turn to Jude and we go, yeah, in the New Testament, there's only two books about false teachers. Wrong. Wrong. Paul wrote about them in every one of his letters. Jesus cautioned about them all through the Gospels because the Pharisees were false teachers. Paul wrote about the second coming. Paul wrote about the glories of heaven. Paul spoke about prophecies relating to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter says, I'm telling you the same thing. What I'm saying has been confirmed by the Scriptures. I love it. Peter's just preaching to us the Bible. Oh, but pastor, you're talking about me engaging in Bible study. You're talking about me having actual observation of what the Bible says and what it means by what it says. That means engaging in Bible study, and it's hard to do that. It's hard to study the Bible like you're talking about. After all, I don't have the skills, and sometimes the Bible is just so hard to understand. Yep. Yes. Notice what Peter says. Notice what Peter says in verse 16. He says, in which some things are hard to understand. I like that. Hard to understand, but not everything's hard to understand. And in fact, he says some things are hard to understand, which means it's not impossible. It's not impossible. Sometimes we read verses like that and we think, oh, what Peter's talking about is going to be impossible for me. No. I can't do that. No, hard doesn't mean impossible. It simply means difficult. Difficult. There are some doctrines in the Bible that are difficult for us to understand. They're a challenge. It may be difficult, our minds are surely stretched by them, but they're not impossible. Some people just throw up their hands and go, well, gosh, I, I can't understand that. There's been so many people confused about this over the time, so I'm not even going to try. Well, listen, that's why so many are led astray by false teachers today. Because they listen to an explanation that is born out of thin air. Rather, than a thoughtful observation of what the Bible says and what it means by what it says. And then those who are unstable in their faith because of personal neglect are vulnerable to being led up in error. So they're hard to understand which the untaught and unstable distort. False teachers do this with the whole Bible. 
That's what they do. In fact, Peter describes them here as untaught and unstable. Untaught and unstable. That means that they not only do they lack information, they're untaught, but they also, they're, they're unstable. They're always changing. Uh, they lack teaching, and they're always switching. They're untaught and unstable. And because of that, what do they do? They distort. They distort everything. That means they just twist the Scriptures to say whatever they want them to say. And they confuse the truth. They don't not only do it with hard passages, but they do it with the rest of the Scriptures. They do it with everything. They twist the Scriptures and confuse the truth for the unsuspecting. And so here's the main point that Peter has been driving towards since verse 1 of chapter 1. Here's the main point. Verse 17. You therefore, beloved, talking to Christians, talking to us, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand. You see, you're reading the last chapter of the book first. You know the end of the story before you ever start. You know all this beforehand. You got the enemy's book right here before you. You know how he works. You know all this beforehand. So what? Be on guard. Why? Lest being carried away by the error of unprincipled men, you fall from your own steadfastness. He's saying, listen, take the example of others who have already gone that foolish road. You know it beforehand. You've been warned beforehand. You, you've been exhorted beforehand. Guard yourself because guess what? If you don't, you're going to be carried away. You therefore, beloved, know this beforehand. Knowing what? Knowing that there are false teachers who come along. Those who twist the Scriptures lead others along with them to hell. Since you know this beforehand, since you have this information, be on guard. Be on guard for what? Be on guard for the false teachers. Be on guard against their destructive heresies that they introduce secretly. You want to know how Paul said to Timothy to, to fight against this? Here's how Paul said it to Timothy. Study to show yourself approved unto God. Paul said, you want to fight against all these kinds of things? Study to show yourself approved unto God. Why? Why be on guard? Because there's a very real danger. A danger of being led away into error. Be on guard, last being carried away by the error of unprincipled men. That's what false teachers are. Their stains, their blemishes, their, as Jude calls them, clouds without water. They're unprincipled people. You know what that word means in the original language? Lawless. Lawless. Without boundaries, really. Without any kind of law. What's the law for us as Christians? 
The scriptures, the scriptures rightly divided. That's the law for us. That's what we follow. Well, these are those who are lawless. They don't have the scriptures because they twist the scriptures. They don't have what God means by what he says because they tell God what he means. Therefore, they don't have the word of God. So Peter says, know the scriptures so that you won't be carried away. And then he says, secondly, so that your faith is strong. Be on guard, know the scriptures, so that you won't be carried away by the error of unprincipled men, so that your faith will remain steadfast, so that you won't fall from your own steadfastness. Don't you find that refreshing? God doesn't save someone and place them in a place of unsteadfast faith. We fall from that. Saving faith is a steadfast faith. It Why? It believes God. God said, if you repent of your sin and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. I trust you, Lord. Please forgive me of my sins. You've promised to do that. I want to walk in obedience to you. That's steadfast faith. We fall from that steadfast faith when we believe error. God has cared for us in the ways in which we can't even imagine. And so listen, anytime you are hearing from the lawless false teachers who distort the scriptures, anytime that happens, you are running the risk of being led astray and weakened in your faith. That's why it can be so dangerous to tune into TV hucksters. The TV preachers of today, many of them who are false teachers, they're charlatans. You have no idea about their character. You don't have no idea about who they are, about what their life is like in the world. And therefore, you better really know the Scriptures. You better really know why they are wrong In fact, you can't even sit here. You can't even sit here in this church where somebody is twisting and distorting scriptures without running the risk of being led astray. Even though we open the Word of God and we dissect the Word of God and we try to exposit what it means by what it says to the best of our abilities and understanding, there's still wrong things sometimes said here in Sunday school classes and those things. You better better be careful. better be on guard. You better speak up. It could cause you to fall from your own steadfastness. So Peter says, be on guard. Guard yourself. Guard yourself. Be on guard. And the only way to do that is to know the Scriptures. He says, but grow, verse 18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Go in the knowledge and the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But while we're waiting, while we're anticipating our eternal glory, we're to be continually growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ. So, since you as a Christian are going to be spending eternity with Christ, 
Since we are going to have our glorified bodies and be in the presence of Christ, then we ought to be growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ. In fact, Peter said this already in his first letter, chapter 2, verse 2. He said, as babes long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you might grow. And all of that should produce in us exactly what verse 18 says at the end. Praise to God. Praise to God. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. I love that because Peter is just acknowledging the reality of who Jesus Christ is. Growing the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory. Listen, we're to give glory to only one person. That is God. Jesus Christ, Peter is even here at the end acknowledging just who Jesus Christ is. Christ must be equal with God. Christ himself is God incarnate because we are commanded to give him glory. In fact, when we get into the book of Jude, you'll notice Jude uses the word Jesus. Jesus was the one who brought fire and brimstone down upon Sodom and Gomorrah. It was Jesus who judged the world. It was Jesus back in the Old Testament. Jude uses that. Some people try to separate Jesus' humanity and his divinity. Christ being a title of divinity. Jesus being his earthly name given to him by Mary because Gabriel said that's what he was going to be called. And yet here, Peter is exclaiming just who he is. He's God. So how do we live? How do we live? We live knowing that someday we will enter into eternity and live in a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. There is no sin. And therefore, we live in anticipation of that great day. And we live in perfect peace because we are assured, settled, certain that that day, the day of the Lord is a day for judgment, and following that will be the day of God, the eternal state in which we will dwell with God forever, and therefore we desire to be found by Christ in that settledness, at peace, spotless, blameless. Knowing that the time here on this earth is just that, aliens and strangers, as we walk in this earth, it is a temporal time and it is a time for salvation. And so we persuade men. We share the gospel. And all the while we are careful, all the while we are on guard for those who may come along, those who distort the truth, who can lead us away from our steadfastness. We should be continually growing, growing in the knowledge as we stand in grace, giving Him the glory for it all. We follow Peter's exhortation. We will finish well. We will finish well. Let's pray together. Father, once again, we thank you. What a joyous ride this has been. 
What an encouragement to our souls. A challenge, yes. Some places difficult, yes. What an encouragement that we have everything we need for life and godliness. That we know what the character and nature of the false teachers are like. That we can trust your promise that you carry out exactly what you say you will carry out. And we anticipate the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We anticipate the day of God. We anticipate the day of eternity. We anticipate it all. And therefore, knowing all of these things, we desire to live by faith. Help us walk by faith, trusting you, engaging our minds and our hearts in an understanding of your word. Even when it's hard, let us be stretched. Let's grow in the knowledge of our Savior, Jesus Christ, as we stand in grace, that we might be found by you at peace, spotless and blameless, that you might receive all the glory. We praise you until for every day of eternity, which will never end. What a joy. We thank you for this study, Lord. We ask you to impress it upon our hearts and minds and our lives. May it be, may it be reflected in us each and every day. For your glory, in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.